Video starts at 13.50. Intro. Of course it's absurd. It's as I suspected. Well, I must defend my name. No, you must do no such thing. Oh, my honor, I will, my lord, I must. I know you yearn to defend your name and your honor, but the common mind has no capacity for this sort of nuance. It's, they simply don't understand the world as we do. These villains and heroes, that's all. Uh, my lord. Deny, deny, deny. All men are not equal in heart and spirit. From a short history of Christianity by J. M. Robertson. Taken individually, then, an average Christian of the second century was likely to be an unlettered person of the lower middle or poorer classes, living in a town, either bitterly averse to idols, theatres, the circus, and the public baths, or persuaded that he ought to be, utterly credulous as to demons and miracles, incapable of criticism as to sacred books, neurotic or respectful towards neurosis, readily emotional towards the crucified God and the sacred mystery in which were given the body and blood, devoid alike of aesthetic and of philosophic faculty, without the thought of civic duty or political theory, much given to his ritual, capable of fanatical hatred and of personal malice but either constitutionally sober and chaste or chronically anxious to be so, and in times of persecution exalted by the passion of self-sacrifice, perhaps then transiently attaining to the professed ideal of love towards enemies. But the effective bonds of union for the community, whether in peace or during persecution, were rather the ruling passion of hostility to pagan beliefs and usages, and the eager hope of salvation, than any enthusiasm of humanity social or even sectarian. And, as an orthodox ecclesiastic has remarked, we cannot even cursorily read the New Testament without being astonished by the allusions so often made to immoral persons calling themselves Christians. From a new model of the universe by P. D. Uspensky. Only degeneration and decay can proceed mechanically. Initiation gave freedom from this gloom, gave a way of escape from the never-ending anguish of the abodes of the dead, gave a kind of life in death. This idea is expressed more clearly than anywhere else in the Easter hymn of the Orthodox Church, which undoubtedly comes from very remote pre-Christian antiquity and links the Christian idea with the idea of the mysteries. Christ is risen from the dead. He has conquered death with death, and given life to those who were in tombs. There is a remarkable analogy between the content of the mysteries and the earthly life of Christ. The life of Christ, taken as we know it from the Gospels, represents the same mystery as those which were performed in Egypt on the island of Phile, in Greece at Eleusis, and in other places. First of all the idea of esotericism tells us of the knowledge which has been accumulated for tens of thousands of years and has been handed down from generation to generation within small circles of initiates, this knowledge often relates to spheres which have not even been touched upon by science. In order to acquire this knowledge, and also the power which it gives, a man must go through difficult preliminary preparations and tests and prolonged work without which it is impossible to assimilate this knowledge and to learn how to use it. This work for the mastery of esoteric knowledge, and the methods belonging to it, constitute by themselves a separate cycle of knowledge unknown to us. One and the same idea invariably runs through the teachings originated by these people, namely, the idea that only a very few can enter the esoteric circle, though many may desire to do so and may even make the attempt. The esoteric schools which preserve ancient knowledge, handing it over from one to another in succession, 
and the people who belong to these schools stand apart, as it were, from ordinary mankind, to which we belong. According to the idea of esotericism, as applied to the history of mankind, no civilization ever begins of itself. There exists no evolution which begins accidentally and proceeds mechanically. Only degeneration and decay can proceed mechanically. Civilization never starts by natural growth, but only through artificial cultivation. Esoteric schools are hidden from the eyes of ordinary humanity, but the influence of schools persists uninterruptedly in history, and has the aim, so far as we can understand this aim, of helping, when that appears possible, races which have lapsed into a barbarous state of one kind or another to emerge from that state and to enter upon a new civilization, or a new life. A savage or semi-savage people or an entire country is taken in hand by a man possessing power and knowledge. He begins to educate and instruct the people. He gives them a religion, he makes laws, builds temples, introduces writing, creates the beginning of art and the sciences, makes the people migrate to another country if necessary, and so on. Theocratic government is a form of such artificial cultivation. Biblical history from Abraham, and possibly even earlier, to Solomon, is an example of the civilizing of a savage people by members of the inner circle from the Colbrin. The barbarian asks, Who and what is the supreme spirit? Say unto him, Conceive it as a being even above your greatest God. If it helps in your understanding, see the supreme spirit as a God reflecting his image as yourself. The barbarian seeks a God he can see, but try and make him understand this is impossible. The barbarians are still children and these things do not easily come within. Because of this it may be best if they were taught by simple tales, like children, and so brought into the light gradually. A belief in the Supreme Spirit is of no great importance. An inquiry into his nature by the ignorant is purposeless foolishness. It is of much more importance to men that they believe in their own souls. Belief in a God of any sort without belief in the immortality of man and his godlikeness serves no end. If a God existed without man deriving any benefit from his existence, it would be better for man to ignore him. This, however, is not the case. Man seeks unity and communion with the Supreme Spirit only for his own benefit. Man has a destiny founded in something greater than himself, and hence his need for that something. The existence of a Supreme Being is not just something to accept, believe in and ignore. A belief, faith alone, cannot be ends in themselves, for nothing exists without purpose. Simple belief in a Supreme Being is not enough, we must know the purpose or intention of the Being. If we believe this Supreme Being created us, however this was brought about, we must seek to discover the purpose behind our creation. If we were created to serve some purpose, to do something we were intended to do, we must do it or earn our Creator's displeasure. Does the potter keep the pot useless for its purpose, or the smith keep unwrought metal? Only things which serve the purpose for which they were intended are kept and cherished. Therefore, we who are brothers, were taught not only to believe in a Supreme Being but also in our similarity to Him. The Supreme Spirit is not a stranger beyond our ken, the powers of the Supreme Spirit infuse every fiber of our bodies. For the sake of the barbarians it is perhaps best to call the Supreme Spirit, God, the God without a name. 
this will solve some difficulties, and if the barbarians think themselves superior because they contain him within a name, let it be so and hold yourself in peace. The barbarians make images of God to make him more understandable. Are we much better who make images of him in our likeness within our thoughts? Not perhaps because we believe him so, but to make him more understandable. As man's understanding of God increases, so does God recede, so that though through the ages man comes to understand God better, he ever keeps the same distance away. We who dwell in the light of the Supreme Spirit have come closer to understanding, not because we are better men but because we have devoted our lives to the search, the mystics. If any man seek carefully and diligently enough he must find whatever it is he seeks. God is not a person, but the Supreme Spirit. They must also learn that the spirit is not something separate from man, or something within him. Man is spirit, man is soul. I am not born, nor will I ever die. I am Haru the Enlightened One, Haru the Twice Born. Having crossed the dark waters myself, I carry the others across. Being free from fear, I free others from fear. Being unrestricted, I ease the restriction of others. Knowing the way, I show it to others. Having trodden the road, I now guide others along it. I am an illuminated one, the open of ear, the keen of eye. I am one who knows the law, I am a keeper of ordinances. To obtain the gem the serpent must be aroused and then overcome. To rouse this serpent is a thing not to be lightly undertaken, for it causes a fire to mount into the heart, which may destroy the brain with delusions and madness. Only the twice born can really obtain the gem. Then you pass through the portal to the Hall of Judgment. Here, for the first time, your light is revealed and it is made known whether your tongue has spoken in accordance with the things within your heart. Many are they who know the words of the tongue but sever these from what is written in the heart. If the words of the tongue are copied from the writings of the heart and are a true copy, then cross to the place of assessment where your true form and likeness will be displayed for all to see. A curtain of darkness descends, there is a heavy dark mist, then the muffled crash of thundering doors. The aching body reclines within the tomb of stone. The questing pilgrim has returned to his helm haven. He has learned truths he could never learn on earth and now knows the grand secret. Faith is replaced with certainty and he is now an initiated one. He who sees his own self in all things and all things in his own self is awakened. He is beyond delusion and outside the reach of futile sorrow. Having arisen from the womb of rebirth, the spirit is completely freed from any doubt about the immortality of man. The truly awakened soul is beyond carnal lust and mortal grief, his love is alike for all my creation and thus he shows supreme love for me. If a man would know heaven, he must first know earth. Man cannot understand heaven until he understands earth. He cannot understand God until he understands himself, and he cannot know love unless he has been loveless. God is unknown but not unknowable. He is unseen but not unseeable. God is unheard but not unhearable. He is not understood but he is understandable. The people of those times spurned all spiritual things and men lived only for pleasure, caring little for the good of mankind or the future of the people. The goal of life is upstream, not downstream. 
man must struggle against the current, not drift with the flow. From the revolt against civilization, the menace of the underman by Lothrop's Doddard, it is this elite which leavens the group and initiates progress. From the Bow and the Club by Julius Savola. The last point to which I will allude in these short notes no longer pertains to the definition of the pure concept of initiation in itself, but rather to the connection between the level of initiation and that of mundane reality and history. Particularly in recent times the conception of the secret character of the quality of the initiate has prevailed. The following saying of a Sufi, Islamic initiate, could be cited, that I am a Sufi is a secret between me and God. The hermetic character of the initiate is clear, moreover, from the initiatory current from which this adjective is specifically derived alchemical hermeticism, one of the main currents in the post-Christian West. But if we go further back in time, a different possibility is also attested. If we focus our gaze on those civilizations which, in an eminent sense, we may call traditional those civilizations which had an organic and sacred character and in which all activities were adequately ordered from top down at the center of such civilizations we often find, quite visibly, figures with features similar to those attributed to initiates. As this center is constituted by an imminent transcendence, so to speak, meaning a real presence of the non-human in the human, which is expected of particular beings or elites, there is a corresponding form of spirituality which defines the initiate and distinguishes him from the priest, for example, because the priest, at best, is a mediator of the divine and the supernatural, but does not incorporate this element in himself through the character of centrality. The divine royalty at the origins of a great number of civilizations had precisely this metaphysical character. Saint Clement and Purification. It's hopeless, in the ancient times the Hierophants already had a hard time finding adepts, but this has nothing to do with our modern times. All subtlety has totally left this human species, and the West in particular. I was on Bitchute.com, they have implemented a module of censorship of users, finally. So, by default for months, and having no more control on the comments I had disabled them by default. While looking if I could now prevent blocking users, I came across one of my videos and a comment, typical. It's on the video white people are insecure. White Adamics are the most secure peoples in the world. Because that is all that is going to be left. Revelation 21:1. So let's go look at this text. Revelation 21 1-22-1-5 King James Version. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign for ever and ever. They can't understand that this is about enlightenment? 
these people, make my head hurt. As soon as there is a subtlety, there is no one left. Everything has to be chewed up as if it were for children. You can understand why initiation, esotericism, is not for them. From Mystic Christianity or the Teachings of the Master by William Walker Atkinson. That there is a secret doctrine of Christianity is not generally known to the majority who claim the name of Christian. But it has always been known to the mystics in and out of the church. And that this progress from childhood to maturity, as I would say Clamonisk is concerned with the idea of Christian maturity, is a progress from what he calls faith to gnosis. Gnosis spelled with a G, gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S. -S. See, but what is gnosis? It's knowledge, but spiritual knowledge. But you, Saint Anselm, talks about it, and all these other people pick it up and talk about it. And we've mentioned it here before. That, that exactly illustrates this whole idea of, of the progress from faith to gnosis. What is that? That famous expression. Here, you guys are beginning philosophy. You ought to. What is it? You know, fides querens intellecto. What does that mean? No. Faith um, seeks. Seeking. Um, understanding. Faith seeking understanding. And uh, so this this whole whole idea is that faith, of course, he may, and it's perhaps true, Clement, they, they, all these people give Clement a hard time on this. You read a book like Pura, Christian Spirituality, which is a good book to read. It gives you good background. But it gives Clement a very hard time. Um, such climate was a very, pretty bad stuff. You want to watch out for this. It's very dangerous. Stay away from it. The division between the ordinary Christian and the Gnostic Christian, the one who had attained to Gnosis. But I don't think that that distinction is dangerous, at least not now. I think that is a good distinction to bring back in. I mean, I think people should desire, because, all right, you, you emphasize the opposite. What do you do? Stay a simple faithful. Keep away from all this study of uh, don't 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 try to see too much. See, and don't get uh, don't get too smart for your own good, and, and uh, just believe. And uh, we said it, you believe it. Shut up. See, take it, and so forth. And obviously, so that's what Clement really means. He's talking about not staying a child all your life in the in the, in the matters of faith. And who talks about that before him? Well, Saint Paul does. And Saint Paul says clearly. See, I would not have you be children. I mean, milk is for the children, and solid meat is for the, for the perfect. Saint Clement, in the same work from which the above quotation was taken, has a chapter entitled The Mysteries of the Faith, not to be divulged to all. What is meant by Christ's constant references to the mysteries of the kingdom of God, by his frequent statement to his disciples that the full and true interpretation could be given only to them, and that to others he must speak in parables. Why does he perpetually use the technical terms connected with the well-known mystery teaching of antiquity? What does Saint Paul mean when he says, We speak wisdom among them which are perfect, a well-known technical term for the men at a certain stage of initiation? Again and again he uses terms of the same sort, he speaks of the wisdom of God in mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world began, and which none even of the princes of this world know. A statement which could not by any possibility have been truthfully made if he had been referring merely to ordinary Christian teaching which is openly preached before all men. His immediate followers, the fathers of the church, knew perfectly well what he meant, for they all use precisely the same phraseology. 
Clement of Alexandria, one of the earliest and greatest of all, tells us that it is not lawful to reveal to the profane persons the mysteries of the word. Another consideration shows us clearly how much of this early teaching has been lost. The church now devotes herself solely to producing good men, and points to the saint as her crowning glory and achievement. But in older days she claimed to be able to do much more than that. When she had made a man a saint, her work with him was only just beginning, for then only was he fit for the training and teaching which she could give him then, but cannot now, because she has forgotten her ancient knowledge. Then she had three definite stages in her course of training, purification, illumination, and perfection. Now she contents herself with the preliminary purification, and has no illumination to give. LOL. And again purification is a false purification. For the ego. Read what Clement says, purity is only a negative state, valuable chiefly as the condition of insight. He who has been purified in baptism and then initiated into the little mysteries, has acquired, that is to say, the habits of self-control and reflection, becomes rife for the greater mysteries for the gnosis, the scientific knowledge of God. In another place he says, knowledge is more than faith. Faith is a summary knowledge of urgent truths, suitable for people who are in a hurry, but knowledge is scientific faith. See how Saint Clement uses the term scientific. And his pupil Origen writes of the popular, irrational faith which leads to what he calls physical Christianity, based upon the gospel history, as opposed to the spiritual Christianity conferred by the Gnosis of Wisdom. Don't forget what Nietzsche said. Christianity is a revolt of all creatures that creep on the ground against everything that is lofty, the gospel of the lowly lowers. Back to Mystic Christianity by William Walker Atkinson. Speaking of teaching founded upon historical narrative, he says, what better method could be devised to assist the masses? But for those who are wise he has always the higher teachings, which are given only to those who have proved themselves worthy of it. This teaching is not lost, the church cast it out when she expelled the great Gnostic doctors, but it has nevertheless been preserved, and it is precisely that wisdom which we are studying, precisely that which we find to answer all the problems of life, to give us a rational rule by which to live, to be to us a veritable gospel of good news from on high. Religion is from the bottom of society. Tradition, esotericism is from the top of society. In the same way, that democracy is from below, and aristocracy from above. Don't wonder why Christians are the stupid ones, because they are. Saint Paul indicates the existence of the secret doctrine of Christianity, when he says to the Corinthians. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk, and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. 1 Corinthians 3 1-2, Jesus said, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your pearls before the swine, lest haply they trample them under their feet, and turn and rend you. Matthew 7 6. In the first century after Christ, the term the mysteries of Jesus was frequently used by the Christian teachers, and the inner circle of Christians was recognized as a body of advanced souls. The following passage from St. Mark, 4 10-12, is interesting in this connection. And when he was alone, 
they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parables. And he said unto them, Unto you is given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all things are done in parables, that seeing they may see, and not perceive, and hearing they may hear, and not understand. The same writer says, 433-34. And with many such parables spake he the word unto them, as they were able to hear it, and without a parable spake he not unto them, but privately to his own disciples he expounded all things. Jesus said to his disciples, John 16:12, I have yet many things to say to you, but ye cannot bear them now. The occult teachings state that when he returned in his astral form, after the crucifixion, he taught the many important and advanced mystic truths, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Acts 1-3. The early Christian fathers spake and wrote openly regarding the Christian mysteries, as all students of church history well know. Polycarp, Bishop of Smyrna, writes to certain others hoping that they are well versed in the sacred scriptures and that nothing is hidden from you, but to me this privilege is not yet granted. The Epistle of Polycarp, Chapter 7. Ignatius, Bishop of Antioch, says that he is not yet perfect in Jesus Christ. For I now begin to be a disciple, and I speak to you as my fellow disciple. He also addresses them as being initiated into the mysteries of the gospel, with Saint Paul, the holy, the martyred. Again. Might I not write to you things more full of mystery? But I fear to do so, lest I should inflict injury on you who are but babes. Pardon me in this respect, lest, as not being able to receive their weighty import, ye should be strangled by them. For even I, though I am bound and am able to understand heavenly things, the angelic orders, and the different sorts of angels and hosts, the distinction between powers and dominions, and the diversities between thrones and authorities, the mightiness of the aeons, and the preeminence of the cherubim and seraphim, the sublimity of the spirit, the kingdom of the Lord, and above all the incomparable majesty of Almighty God, though I am acquainted with these things, yet am I not therefore by any means perfect. Nor am I such a disciple as Paul or Peter. Ignatius also speaks of the high priest or hierophant, of whom he asserts that he was the one to whom the Holy of Holies has been committed, and who alone has been entrusted with the secrets of God. Epistles of Ignatius Saint Clement of Alexandria was a mystic of high rank in the inner circle of the church. His writings are full of allusions to the Christian mysteries. He says among other things that his writings were a miscellany of Gnostic notes, according to the time philosophy, which teachings he had received from Pontimus, his instructor or spiritual teacher. He says of these teachings. The Lord allowed us to communicate of those divine mysteries and of that holy light, to those who are able to receive them. He did not certainly disclose to the many what did not belong to the many, but to the few to whom he knew that they belonged, who were capable of receiving and being molded according to them. But secret things are entrusted to speech, not to writing, as is the case with God. And if one say that it is written, there is nothing secret which shall not be revealed, nor hidden, which shall not be disclosed, let him also hear from us, that to him who hears secretly, even what is secret shall be manifested. This is what was predicted by this oracle. And to him who is able secretly to observe what is delivered to him, that which is veiled shall be disclosed as truth, and what is hidden to the many shall appear manifest to the few.
the mysteries are delivered mystically, that what is spoken may be in the mouth of the speaker, rather not in his voice, but in his understanding. The writing of these memoranda of mine, I well know, is weak when compared with that spirit full of grace, which I was privileged to hear. But it will be an image to recall the archetype to him who was struck with the thiasis. We may state here that the thiasis was the mystic wand carried by the initiates in the mystic brotherhoods, the initiate being first tapped with it, and then receiving it from the hierophant, at the ceremony of formal initiation, Clement adds. We profess not to explain secret things sufficiently, far from it, but only to recall them to memory, whether we have forgot aught, or whether for the purpose of not forgetting. Many things, well I know, have escaped us, through length of time, that have dropped away unwritten. There are then some things of which we have no recollection, for the power that was in the blessed men was great. There are also some things which remain unnoted long, which have now escaped, and others which are effaced, having faded away in the mind itself, since such a task is not easy to those not experienced, these I revive in my commentaries. Some things I purposely omit, in the exercise of a wise selection, afraid to write what I guarded against speaking, not grudging, for that were wrong, but fearing for my readers lest they should stumble by taking them in a wrong sense, and, as the proverb says, we should be found reaching a sword to a child. For it is impossible that what has been written should not escape, although remaining published by me. But being always revolved, using the one only voice, that of writing, they answer nothing to him that makes inquiries beyond what is written, for they require of necessity the aid of someone, either of him who wrote or of someone else, who walked in his footsteps. Some things my treatise will hint, on some it will linger, some it will merely mention. It will try to speak imperceptibly, to exhibit secretly, and to demonstrate silently. The Stromata of Saint Clement. Saint Clement, in the same work from which the above quotation was taken, has a chapter entitled The Mysteries of the Faith, not to be divulged to all. In it he states that inasmuch as his writings might be seen by all men, the unwise as well as the wise, it is requisite, therefore, to hide in a mystery the wisdom spoken, in which the Son of God is taught. Those who are still blind and dumb, not having understanding, or the undazzled and keen vision of the contemplative soul, must stand outside of the divine choir. Wherefore, in accordance with the method of concealment, the truly sacred word, truly divine and most necessary for us, deposited in the shrine of truth, was by the Egyptians indicated by what were called among the Maditor, and by the Hebrews the veil. Only the consecrated were allowed access to them. For Plato also thought it not lawful for the impure to touch the pure. Now, then, it is not wished that all things should be exposed indiscriminately to all and sundry, or the benefits of wisdom communicated to those who have not even in a dream been purified in soul, for it is not allowable to hand to every chance comer what has been procured with such laborious efforts. Nor are the mysteries of the word to be expounded to the profane. So that, on the other hand, then, there are the mysteries which were hid till the time of the apostles, and were delivered by them as they received from the Lord, and, concealed in the Old Testament, were manifested to the saints. And on the other hand, there is the riches of the glory of the mysteries of the Gentiles, which is faith and hope in Christ. Instruction, which reveals hidden things, is called illumination, 
as it is the teacher only who uncovers the lid of the ark. The stromata of Saint Clement. Saint Clement also quotes approvingly the saying of Plato, that, we must speak in enigmas, that should the tablet come by any mischance on its leaves either by sea or land he who reads may remain ignorant. He also says, concerning certain Gnostic writings. Let the specimen suffice to those who have ears. For it is not required to unfold the mystery, but only to indicate what is sufficient for those who are partakers in knowledge to bring it to mind. But not only Saint Clement so wrote and taught, but many others in authority in the early Christian church likewise voiced their knowledge of, and approve of, in, the inner teachings. For example, Origen, the pupil of Saint Clement, a man whose influence was felt on all sides in the early days of the church. Origen defended Christianity from the attacks of Celsus, who charged the church with being a secret organization which taught the truth only to a few, while it satisfied the multitude with popular teachings and half-truths. Origen replied that, while it was true that there were inner teachings in the church which were not revealed to the general public, still the church, in that respect, was but following the example of all teachers of truth who always maintained an esoteric side of their teachings for those fitted to participate in them, while giving the exoteric side to the general body of followers. He writes. And yet the mystery of the resurrection, not being understood, is made a subject of ridicule among unbelievers. In these circumstances, to speak of the Christian doctrine as a secret system is altogether absurd. But that there should be certain doctrines, not made known to the multitude, which are divulged after the exoteric ones have been taught, is not a peculiarity of Christianity alone, but also of philosophic systems in which certain truths are exoteric and others esoteric. Some of the hearers of Pythagoras were content with his Ipse Dixit, while others were taught in secret those doctrines which were not deemed fit to be communicated to profane and insufficiently prepared ears. I have not yet spoken of the observance of all that is written in the Gospels, each one of which contains much doctrine difficult to be understood, not merely by the multitude, but even by certain of the more intelligent, including a very profound explanation of the parables, which Jesus delivered to those without while reserving the exhibition of their full meaning for those who had passed beyond the stage of exoteric teaching, and who came to him privately in the house and when he comes to understand it, he will admire the reason why some are said to be without and others in the house. Origin against Celsus. In the same work Origen considers the story of the Syria-Phoenician woman, Matthew chapter 15, and says concerning it. And perhaps, also, of the words of Jesus there are some loaves which it is possible to give to the more rational as to the children, only, and others as it were crumbs from the great house and table of the well-born, which may be used by some souls like dogs, and, again. He whose soul has, for a long time, been conscious of no evil, especially since he yielded himself to the healing of the word, let such a one hear the doctrines which were spoken in private by Jesus to his genuine disciples. And, again. But on these subjects much and that of a mystical kind, might be said, in keeping with which is the following, it is good to keep close to the secret of a king, in order that the doctrine of the entrance of souls into bodies may not be thrown before the common understanding, nor what is wholly given to the dogs, nor pearls be cast before swine. For such a procedure would be impious, being equivalent to a betrayal of the mysterious declaration of God's wisdom.
it is sufficient, however, to represent in the style of a historic narrative what is intended to convey a secret meaning in the garb of history, that those who have the capacity may work out for themselves all that relates to the subject. He also says, in the same work. If you come to the books written after the time of Jesus, you will find that those multitudes of believers who hear the parables are, as it were, without, and worthy only of exoteric doctrines. While the disciples learn in private the explanation of the parables. For, privately, to his own disciples did Jesus open up all things, esteeming above the multitudes those who desired to know his wisdom and he promises to those who believe on him to send them wise men and scribes. In another work, Origen states that the scriptures have a meaning, not only such as is apparent at first sight, but also another, which escapes the notice of most. For such is written in the forms of certain mysteries, and the image of divine things. Respecting which there is one opinion throughout the whole church, that the whole law is indeed spiritual, but that the spiritual meaning which the law conveys is not known to all, but to those only on whom the grace of the Holy Spirit is bestowed in the word of wisdom and knowledge. De Principius. We could fill page after page with live quotations from the writings of the early Christian fathers, and their successors, showing the existence of the inner teachings. But we must rest content with those which we have given you, which are clear and to the point, and which come from undoubted authority. The departure of the church from these inner teachings was a great calamity, from which the church is still suffering. The socialism that has been pushed by the Christians is this calamity. Everything is turned outward in this church. It is no longer equality of spirit but equality of forms. Men equal to women. Children equal to parents. White equal to black. Heterosexuals equal to homosexuals. And so on. There can be no renewal of this church. For its choice is the wrong one. It denies the spirit, it denies the hierarchy and therefore the tradition. That is why the Christian is the one who destroyed the tradition in the West. It came from within, not from the outside. And that's why the West has no future, and why it will end badly for this continent. Which will end up being hated by all the other nations that promote the spirit. The struggle of the last 300 years and the annihilation of the Western population is the trait. As that well-known occultist, Eliphias Levi, has said. A great misfortune befell Christianity. The betrayal of the mysteries by the false Gnostics. Already said it. For the Gnostics, that is, those who know, were the initiates of primitive Christianity caused the Gnosis to be rejected, and alienated the Church from the supreme truths of the Kabbalah, which contains all the secrets of transcendental theology. Let the most absolute science, let the highest reason become once more the patrimony of the leaders of the people, let the sacerdotal art and the royal art take the double scepter of antique initiations and the social world will once more issue from its chaos. Burn the holy images no longer, demolish the temples no more, temples and images are necessary for men, but drive the hirelings from the house of prayer, let the blind be no longer leaders of the blind, reconstruct the hierarchy of intelligence and holiness, and recognize only those who know as the teachers of those who believe. The mysteries of magic, wait translation. Well it's not going to happen, the West chose its side 2000 years ago, 
and it is not the right one. We still see it with the Covid, and the plebs detestation of the people in general. The plebs must be controlled. This is the way out of the West.